This is my Bible. It is the Word of God and the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am. I'm seated right now in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what the Word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine. And I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Today my mind is alert. My spirit is receptive as I am taught the Word of God. My life is changed for the better. And I will never be the same again. Amen. May be seated. And as you're being seated, if you would, turn your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 12. We've been rehearsing to you at the beginning of messages that in December, pastor challenged us to all believe God for a doubling in 2024. With the Lord, all things are possible, but we have to do our part. And on Vision Sunday, our senior pastor, my father, challenged us to commit to doing four things in 2024, to be in church every time the doors are open, to not just be here, but to arrive early, to worship the Lord enthusiastically, to commit to telling at least one person about the Lord every month. I was so happy to hear between services that even though it was a you know, cold, dreary Saturday morning, that more than 40 people went on the monthly outreach yesterday. That's wonderful, amen? So praise God for it. So third, that we all commit to telling at least one person about the Lord every month. And finally, that we all make the commitment to pray for at least one person in need in their body in person once a month. And we believe that if we will all, as a congregation together, do these things this year, we'll see wonderful, wonderful things happen. Now we spent some time in Acts chapter nine, and we've been rehearsing to you Acts nine, and verse 31, this is something that pastor and I pray and confess daily. It's what we're believing God for in 2024, that as a church, as a church family, we're enjoying a time of peace. We're being strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and we're growing in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. You might say, Austin, uh, what, what is it with the fear of the Lord? Well, it's not what the message day is about, although, a little bit, but having a proper and healthy, reverent fear and respect of Almighty God keeps you busy with the things you ought to be busy with, and it keeps you on the right road and on the right track, living a fruitful and productive life for the kingdom of God. Now today we come to Acts chapter 12. It's so easy when you read a book in the Bible or do the daily Bible reading. You think, man, this happened on Monday, this amazing thing happened on Tuesday, then this amazing thing happened on Thursday. But as we walk through the book of Acts, time is going by. And between the day of Pentecost and Acts chapter nine, that's at least eight years. Between Acts chapter nine and Acts chapter 12, more years have gone by, at least another four to five. Acts 12, beginning in verse one, it was about this time that King Herod. Now, when you read the Gospels and you read the book of Acts, we see this name Herod mentioned repeatedly. 
And of course, Matthew when he wrote, Mark when he wrote, Luke when he wrote, John when he wrote, they all assumed that people in that day knew exactly who they were talking about. But the Herod that was reigning when Jesus was born was not the Herod that later had John the Baptist put to death. And that Herod is not the same as this Herod. Herod the Great was an evil, wicked man. And he had sons, and they were all evil, and they were all wicked. And they had sons, and they were evil, and they were wicked. It was a son of Herod the Great that John the Baptist chastised for taking and marrying his brother's wife. And if you say, well, Austin, that sounds like America in 2024, you would be exactly right. Wicked, immoral, evil. This Herod was Herod Agrippa I. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them, intending to do harm, intending to do evil. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the feast of unleavened bread. Now, Jesus had warned the disciples in John 15, verse 20. He said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. The Bible says, the wicked detest the upright or the righteous. And I, I know we, we all want to be light. You know, if you've got 100 friends on Facebook, I guess that feels better than if you only have five friends or it's your mother and your sister. Well, we, we all want to be light. And we all like approval. But friends, we're living in wicked days. And part of the mantra of the wicked, of the days in which we live in, are to agree and to support and to approve all the wickedness. But the Bible says, this is Proverbs 29, verse 27, the wicked detest the upright. The wicked hate the righteous. That was true then, but it is also true today. What happened to the apostles? The only biblical record we have is right here in Acts 12. James the Greater, the son of Zebedee, the brother of the apostle John, they were called the sons of thunder, that James was beheaded at the order of Herod Agrippa around 44 AD. He was the first apostle to be martyred. History tells us that he was executed near Palestine, not far from where he was a local missionary to the Jews in Judea. His accuser was converted by James' courage and the two were beheaded together. History tells us that Philip was tortured, impaled by iron hooks in his ankles, and hung upside down to die in 54 AD in Egypt. He had preached in Phrygia, which was in the Roman province of Asia, near Ephesus in Turkey. History tells us that Andrew, Peter's brother, was crucified, bound, not nailed, to an X-shaped cross at Patras, Achaia, in southern Greece around 60 AD. As he hung there for two days, he preached to those that were standing there. History tells us that Matthias, also, or excuse me, Matthew, also called Levi, the tax collector. Matthew was staked and speared to the ground in 60 AD. He preached the gospel in Ethiopia and was killed for questioning the king's morals. History tells us that Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, was skinned alive 
then crucified upside down by idolaters in Armenia, which is in Western Asia near Turkey. That took place around 71 AD. He was the most traveled of the disciples. Bartholomew had preached the gospel in Mesopotamia, which is modern Iraq, Persia, which is modern Iran, Ethiopia, Arabia, and India. History tells us that James the Lesser, the son of Alphaeus, was crucified in Lower Egypt where he was preaching the gospel. History tells us that Thomas, doubting Thomas until he beheld and he touched the risen, resurrected Christ, Thomas was thrust through with the spear around 72 AD in India. Thomas preached the gospel in Parthia, which is modern-day Iran, then later in southern India, where today the Mar Thomas Church still stands. History tells us that Simon, also called Simon the Canaanite, or Simon the Zealot, was crucified in Britain in 74 AD, then sawn in half. Most of his ministry took place in modern-day Jordan. History tells us that Matthias, who took the place of Judas, was stoned and beheaded in Jerusalem in 64 AD. And history tells us that Simon, also called Peter, was crucified in 68 AD Rome by the Emperor Nero. He was crucified upside down at his request because he did not believe that he was worthy to be put to death in the same manner as Jesus. If you look at John 21, Jesus had told Peter, after he restored Peter to ministry, Jesus told Peter prophetically, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And John would write, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Jesus said to Peter, yes, I will restore you. But then he said to Peter, do you love me? True Christianity is that Jesus gave his life for us. And so we give our life to Jesus. This whole thing of, I receive the gift, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of salvation, but I'm going to live the way I please, and I'm going to do what I please, and I'm going to live for myself. And if there's all this going on that's wrong or wicked, I'm going to just ask God to forgive it and overlook it. But I'm going to live for myself. That is not the gospel. And that is not Christianity. Peter, I give my life for you. Now will you give your life for me? History tells us that Mark, or John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark and ran when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, that John Mark was dragged to death in Alexandria, Egypt in 68 AD. History tells us that the Apostle Paul was beheaded in Rome by the Emperor Nero in 64 AD, even though it meant death. And you see this all throughout the book of Acts. Even though it meant death, Paul knew his calling, his destiny was to preach the gospel in Rome to Caesar. Everyone deserves to hear the gospel, even Caesar. The Lord had said to Ananias regarding Paul, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. 
History tells us that Luke, the physician who traveled with Paul and who wrote Luke and Acts, was hung from an olive tree by pagan priests in Thebes, Greece in 84 AD. History tells us that James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James and who was the first leader of the church in Jerusalem, the church father Clement of Alexandria tells us that James was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and then was beaten to death with a club. History tells that Jude, also called Thaddeus, who wrote the book of Jude, was beaten with the club, then crucified in 70 AD in the city of Edessa, Turkey, on a missionary trip that went to Persia, or modern-day Iran. And history tells us that John was plunged into burning oil, although he did not die, so the Romans sentenced him to, the, to be in exile on the island of Patmos, which is where he wrote the Revelation. He is the only original follower of Jesus to die a natural death. And he died in 100 AD, the age of 93. Verse 4 here in Acts 12, after arresting Peter, Herod, Herod Agrippa I, put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Sixteen soldiers. Seems overkill for a man who is a minister of the gospel. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. So he was in prison, bound with chains, not one, but two, guarded by 16 soldiers, one on either side, as he slept. Verse 7, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Perhaps he thought, well, this, this would be wonderful if this actually happened. Thought he was asleep, seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to him and said, now I know without a doubt the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. John Mark, his mother's house, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting it was so, they said, it must be his angel. So they, they were praying, but we would say it this way, they were not praying in faith. And even when God delivered Peter in a miracle and he showed up, knocked on the door, they didn't believe it was him. But Peter kept on knocking. When they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. So again, it was not their faith that got Peter released. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. 
Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. Now, I've heard it preached before that the church failed to pray for James, the brother of John, and that is why he was put to death, whereas the church did pray for Peter, and he was rescued. But friends, that is wrong, and it's wrong thinking. All of these men had a destiny. All of these men had a purpose. The Lord Jesus said to Peter, you are the little pebble, a chip off the old block. Peter had a purpose. Peter had a destiny. And Peter was not yet done or finished. His purpose, his task in ministry was not yet done or finished. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 29, not one sparrow, not one bird will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. I've also heard it wrongly preached that if only Peter and Paul had more faith, they would not have suffered. That's nonsense. You know what they had? Boldness. You know what they had? Courage. You know what they had? Commitment. You know what they had? They were unafraid. Paul knew by the Holy Spirit and by prophetic words that if he went to Rome, he would die in Rome. Yet he knew that was his calling. That was his destiny. That was his final and last assignment. That even Caesar deserves to hear the gospel. That even at that pagan place where men proclaim themselves God, it needed to be heard that there is one God, and he is not Caesar. Again, Jesus had said in John 15, verse 20, he had told them, they persecuted me. They will persecute you also. Jesus told Peter, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. John tells us that Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Jesus said of Paul, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Friends, there is great freedom and liberty in placing your life completely and totally in the hands of Almighty God. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 29, not one sparrow, not one bird falls to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And so my, my attitude is that my, my life is in the hands of Almighty God. Now I'm gonna throw out some terms you may or may not be familiar with. Justification is when a man or woman is born again and brought into right standing with God. But there are some other words that are important. Sanctification is when you're, over time you become more like Christ. And like that testimony I read, the things of this world fall off of you. It's a gracious work of God, but we have to cooperate in that. It's also a, a work of the Holy Spirit. And along with sanctification is consecration. That is giving the, the, the totality and the entirety of your life to God. 
You see, we say things like Jesus is Lord, but do we understand it the way they understood it in the first century or the way Christians understood it in Rome? To say Jesus is Lord means not, not just that we're saved and going to heaven, but he is Lord over every single part of our lives. And every single part of our lives is submitted to him. Every single part of our lives is consecrated to him, belongs to him. And if there is anything in any part of our lives that is displeasing to him, we'll repent of it, we'll change it, we'll walk away from it. Jesus is Lord. They understood that and they were committed to it. What people want today is Jesus and Christianity without the cross and without discipleship. Jesus said in Matthew 16, beginning in verse 24, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits or loses his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? It was not the faith of the disciples that saved Peter. God had a destiny, God had a purpose for Peter. He wasn't done. He wasn't finished yet. He wouldn't be finished until he gave his life in Rome. So Acts 12, verse 12. When this had dawned on him, Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed. She ran back without opening and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. So they were praying. They knew it was the right thing to do. But again, it's a wrong road to head down. It's a wrong road to head down. Thinking we're in charge of everything, thinking we control everything, thinking that we know everything. <laughs> there is great power in making Jesus Lord. There is great power in giving every part of your life to Jesus Christ. And there is great power in consecration and total commitment. My life is in God's hands. Maybe in children's church or Sunday school, you heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They lived in a time when King of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, made a giant golden statue of himself. And when music was played, demanded that everyone bow down and worship it. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego said no. And when they were arrested before they were thrown in the fiery furnace, they said that their God could save them. But they also said, even if he does not, we will not bow. What is that? Consecration, commitment. My life is in God's hands. And even if he doesn't save us, we will not bow.
Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord, everybody say the Lord. Say the Lord. So who gets the credit? The Lord. I know it's great if we get the credit, we can pat ourselves on the back and we can say it was me and it was me this and me that, but the Lord gets the credit. The Lord brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. So what happened? He had been arrested. He was in prison, had all these soldiers guarding him. An angel struck him, verse 6, that night before Herod was to bring him to trial. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. And we see a familiar pattern. Something was said. Suddenly, verse 7, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. The angel struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. The angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. So the angel said it. And then Peter followed instructions. You know, things would just be so much easier in life if we would follow God's instructions. Things would just be so much smoother, the way paved so much smoother, if we would just do things God's way instead of our way. And so he followed the angel's instructions. He did what the angel said. Verse 9, Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. Thought he was seeing a vision. And he received his miracle. Verse 9, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what, what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards, and it came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. So he received a wonderful miracle of deliverance. The Lord has done wonderful things. The Lord is doing wonderful things. Our job is simply to tell it. And our job is to tell it, not to make people believe it or to receive it. If they believe, great. But if they don't, just keep telling others. Verse 16, Peter kept knocking. When they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place, as if it was no big deal. Think about Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. The Bible says Stephen was a man full of faith and power and full of the Holy Spirit. But Stephen had a short ministry. And he was put to death as Saul, who became Paul, looked on. Why Stephen so quickly? Why not Philip? These things we have to put into the hands of God. But God used Philip mightily in preaching the gospel in Samaria. The Bible later tells that Philip had seven daughters who prophesied. But then we see in the book of Acts that Philip, as he was going from one place to another, saw an Ethiopian eunuch reading the scroll of Isaiah, wanting to understand what it meant. Philip told that man the gospel and then baptized him in water. And then the Bible tells us that Philip was supernaturally transported from one place to another. Was it because of Philip's great faith? Was it because Philip had more faith than Stephen? No, he had a 
calling. He had a destiny. He had a purpose. He was a man consecrated and committed to God. And when you're consecrated and committed to God, whatever your assignment, whatever your purpose, whatever your time, whether short or long, God can use you. God can use you. But it's, it requires being totally and completely committed to Jesus. We sing that song, he gave us his life. What more could he give? But the reason we call it the great exchange is he gives his life to us and we in turn give our lives to him. That's what they understood. So Peter rehearsed all this like no big deal. Just another day serving the king of kings. Peter motioned with his hand to be quiet, described how the Lord had brought him out of prison, tell James and the brothers about this, and then he left for another place. It was not their faith that got Peter released. I know it would make us feel better if we could say that or think that, but if you believe that, sooner or later, that's going to disappoint you, and it's going to let you down. We are to pray, and we should pray, and we should pray and intercede for one another. The Apostle Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. But friends, when you pray, pray in faith, expecting God to hear and answer, but always remember the wisdom we learn from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We pray, we pray in faith, we expect God to hear and answer, but even if he does not, we will not bow the knee. Even if he does not, we do not deny the Lord, the one who saved us. I rehearsed, pastor rehearsed at 9 a.m. how the apostles died and their lives gave witness to the fact that Jesus is alive. You can study the history. Persecution historically has always resulted in the growth of the church. People, crowds sing, innocent men and women, children, willingly go to their deaths because they know with certainty that Jesus is alive. And so later, Roman emperors like Domitian, instead of trying to create martyrs, what they sought to create were apostates. That is, men and women who would deny the faith. And they would torture people in the most cruel, evil, wicked ways, trying to get people to deny the faith. As bad as the news is, the truth is we live in easy times. We live in an easy place. There is nothing to complain about. I said there is nothing to complain about, to grumble about. If the Lord Jesus tarries, things are going to change in America. America is going to become increasingly secular, socialistic, godless, if the Lord Jesus Christ tarries, there will be increasing persecution in America. I, I know that's not what we want to hear. You're all quiet. No one's shouting me down this morning. Just as an example, 
There's a man in Colorado that he just owns a bakery. He owns a bakery. He owns a bakery. But for more than a decade, he's been taken to court in the Supreme Court again and again and again because he won't bake cakes celebrating godless occasions. It is just the beginning. So we better have a real faith. We better have a real faith that is totally committed no matter what kind of times we live in, whether easy or hard. Because if you don't, your faith will not survive tough times. You might say, Austin, you're, you're kind of concerning me about the wicked. Well, we have good news at the end of this passage. Because there's coming a day when everything will be made right. And some things are made right in this life. Some things will be made right in eternity. Acts 12, verse 18. And here we see again the judgment and the wrath of God. And this is another miracle. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed, which would have been typical for the time. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there a while. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on the throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. And friends, that is what political idolatry looks like. And if judgment doesn't come for it today, it'll come tomorrow. If it doesn't come tomorrow, it'll come next week or next month or next year. But God will not permit it. And so God judges it sooner or later. And this is why the early church and this is why Christians in the first century who lived during wicked times with wicked government, they understood that our trust is not in men. As the Old Testament says, our trust is not in horses or in chariots. Listen, we, I understand we have a duty to vote for the lesser of two evils and to vote our conscience, and we should. It is the right and the duty of every American citizen. But we have to remember, Jesus is Lord. And by definition, Caesar is not. So no one deserves our loyalty and our undying commitment and our enthusiasm and our fervor and our zeal, but the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he was there sitting in that place, a wicked, godless man. And the crowd shouted, this is the voice of a God not of a man. Verse 23, immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down 
and he was eaten by worms and died. Sobering, frightening, the judgment and the wrath of God. Immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. He was eaten by worms and died. But I love the word of God. And I love the way the Bible is written. Verse 24. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. You might say, Austin, I read the news. I saw the news. Did you see this? Did you see that? It's terrible. It's, hor it's all horrible. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. In the midst of it all, we have to be who Jesus has called us to be. We have to be the people of God and we have to love Jesus and love his word and be focused on what really matters and that is telling people about Jesus. Telling people, telling people about Jesus, doing our best in the midst of it all. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. So as pastor and I have challenged you, this year, commit to every month telling at least one person about the Lord and offer to pray for at least one person in person every single month. All, all that's going on, it's evil, it's wicked, it's upsetting. Judgment is coming. And so we've got to be right. We've got to live right. We've got to be ready to meet the Lord. And we've got to tell others the same. That's what matters. That's what matters more than anything else. And if we'll do that, I believe, as pastor has been rehearsing, that Acts 9 and verse 39 will be true this year. That we'll have a time of peace, being strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit that will grow in numbers daily as we live in the fear of the Lord. Somebody might say, Austin, I, I don't know about serving the Lord after what he did to Herod. He is just and he is righteous. And every man, every woman will give an account whether in this life or in the life to come. The Bible describes that there's coming a day when the everyone that is not a part of the righteous, the great, the small, Everyone that did not believe in God throughout history, they will stand before Father God at the great white throne judgment. And the Bible specifically says the, the small and the great, people that no one ever knew, presidents, the famous, the celebrity, they will all stand there and they will give an account for their lives. The Bible describes the book of judgments being opened up. So better to live a life where you put your life in the hands of God and you live for him and you serve him. Please bow your heads. You might be here today and say, Austin, I, I've never given my life to the Lord and I've never asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord and the Savior of my life, but I want to. I want to give my life to him. I want to be a part of the family of God. The Bible tells us that we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in need of a Savior. His name is Jesus. And God is good. 
And God is gracious. And God is merciful. And everyone deserves the opportunity. And so that's why one of the sons of Herod, as wicked as he was, immoral, evil, wicked, had taken his brother's wife. He heard. He had every opportunity because God arranged it that there would be a man in prison, John the Baptist, who would tell him that what he had done was wrong. What he had done was wicked. It was displeasing to God. So he had the opportunity. He had the opportunity. Herod the Great, Herod, his sons, Herod Agrippa, who we learned about today, they all had the opportunity. Paul so firmly believed that everybody should have the opportunity, he staked his life on it. So friends, I'm just giving you the opportunity. You can live for ourselves, but as Jesus said, if you live for yourself, you're gonna lose your life. You're gonna lose your destiny. The best life is a life lived for God. And it begins by asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. If you're here today and say, Austin, I've never done that, but I want to. I want to ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want to give him my life today. If that's you, wherever you're seated, raise your hand where I'll see it and I'll know. You want me to pray with Say, Austin, pray with me. I want to give my life to God. I want to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. You might also be here today at a time in your life and you prayed a prayer, you walked an aisle, but you know in your heart you've not been living for God. We can have all kinds of excuses. We can say it's hard or doing what's right is hard, but friends, none of us is facing what they faced. So we have no excuses. The Lord is good. And the Bible says that his mercy endureth forever. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can have a new beginning. You can have a fresh start. You can leave here today knowing you have peace with God. If you're here today, say, Austin, pray with me. I want to recommit my life. If that's you, wherever you are, just raise your hand where I'll see it and I'll know. You want me to pray with you? Say, Austin, pray with me. I want to recommit my life. You might be watching or listening online now or later and say, Austin, pray with me. Pray the simple prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I repent of my sins. And I ask Jesus to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for filling me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. That's for you. would encourage you to go to the address on the screen. There's short form you can fill out. We'll send you a Bible. We'll send you a copy of my father's book, God's Very Own Child. If you're here today and no, that's for you. Didn't raise your hand. We want to be a blessing to you. After the service, you can talk to any usher, anyone out at guest services. They'll talk with you, pray with you, encourage you, give you some things to take home with you.
You might say, Austin, I, I was not expecting something that sobering, that intense on Sunday, February 4th. We live in serious times. And that demands a serious faith based on God's word and knowing the history of those that have gone on before us. And as my father said at 9 a.m., they, they paid the greatest price. They laid down their lives to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. I, I'm always at St. Paul's giving my students, telling them you could read this or that for extra credit. <laughs> they don't always take me up on that offer. It's all right. Seed sown, maybe as an adult, they'll say, I remember when he recommended that book in class. But if, if this has really grabbed a hold of your heart, you know, at some point during the summer when you have some time, I would encourage you to read John Fox's Book of Martyrs. When Jessica and I were growing up in youth group, a Christian band did a more modern version of that, easier for us young people to read. And that, that book was put out by DC Talk called Jesus Freaks. I'm sure you can get that on eBay or Amazon used. But it is important that we know the history of our faith and the history of the sacrifices that godly men and women paid so we can have the freedoms we have today. One of which is that we can read the Bible in English and you can have a copy that you carry with you from home. Amen.